Uh, please turn in your Bibles now to the book of James, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. I'm going to look at the end of that chapter. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and going down through verse 27. Hear then the word of the living and true God. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God now bless not only the reading of his perfect word, but its preaching as well. A number of years ago, I preached through uh, the book of James. I like to often, when I preach through a book, try to give a, a purpose statement to the book. And so I'll share that with you now. And I think this is useful in tying together various themes, uh, which many of which are seen right at the beginning of the book of James. It is this, and uh, the purpose statement of the book, I believe, is to exhort God's end times dispersed people to embrace trials of various kinds with joy, and to overcome these trials with the wisdom that God provides to those who ask in faith, knowing that trials produce endurance, and endurance leads to the perfection of the saints. And all those themes are laid out in the first few verses of chapter 1. Uh, the notion of trials is very, very central in the book of James. Verse 2 begins with it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials are not accidental to the Christian life. Rather, they are essential to it. Because God's purpose for every Christian is what? Sanctification. It is that they be conformed to Christ, the Christ whose very life was trial and then glory, then the crown that was spoken about by James 
that is spoken about by James, as he says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Of course, that is Jesus Christ, first and foremost, was the one who remained steadfast under trial, and he received the crown of life. And we, therefore, now, independent, not independent of him, but in him, are called to replicate that life. And so, uh, were I to sort of take you through the book of James, my way of dealing with it is to say, um, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. And then I believe James sort of, in the rest of the book, deals with the, various, the trials of various kinds, various kinds of trials that assault the Christian, not just individually, but as uh, churches. Uh, there is a trial of wealth that is spoken about. Verses 9 through 12, there's a kind of trial of self-deception that we find out about in verses 13 through 18. And in verses 19 through 27, I think that idea of deception continues. In particular, self-deception. There's a kind of uh, trial that individuals and churches must face, a trial of overcoming deception. We see that in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he what? He deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Uh, it's one thing to be deceived by someone else. It's another thing to be deceived by yourself. <laughs> And that's what he's talking about here. The danger of self-deception, the danger of deceiving your, our own hearts. It's a major danger, a major challenge in the Christian life. Uh, what, and, and what is the, the trial involving self-deception in this passage? What's it really about? It's seen right at the beginning of our passage. He says this, Know this, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think the trial of self-deception, which is in view here in this passage, involves deceiving ourselves about our right to be angry. <laughs> to be angry Christians, if you will. As we consider this trial, the trial of temptation to anger, we'll see that our text provides two solutions to a self-deceiving anger which can overcome us. Here are the two solutions provided in the text. First of all, hearing the word. And secondly, doing the word. Hearing the word and doing the word. So if we are to face this trial of anger where we are in danger of being self-deceived, we need to hear the word and we need to do the word. So let's look at these two things. Uh, before we look at them, I'd like to make a few general kinds of comments about the trial, uh, about this trial of being tempted to anger. What is the anger that is in view? What's the anger in, that's in view? In context, it seems specifically to be linked to what James says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. How do people react when they look at all their problems in, in their lives um, and they say, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. This is God's fault. 
And so the anger in view here is not first and foremost anger directed towards people. It's anger that can well up in our own hearts if we are not careful. It is anger against God for even allowing us to get into the trials of various kinds that James is spelling out for us. And so we'll see, however, that this anger, which is originally directed towards God, it spills over. (laughs) It spills over and is aimed at those who are made in his image. And so knowing that there is no greater acid to the soul than anger, how do we deal with that? How can we overcome anger? Uh, How can we gain the steadfastness, the perseverance that James speaks about in verses 3 and 4 that he wants us to attain through the testing of our faith? Well, first of all, we must be hearers of the word. Now, when you read in James uh, verse 19, when he says that every person must be quick to hear, usually people understand this as meaning you need to listen to people well. Stop, you know, talking all the time and start listening. Now, undoubtedly, there are many places in the Bible which teach this. It's a very biblical principle. If you look in the book of Proverbs, for example, uh, to, to listen to other people. <laughs> but that's not what James is talking about here. How do I know that? Well, even though the command to be hearers of the word does not occur explicitly down until verse 22, God's word is mentioned over and over again. It's mentioned uh, directly right before verse 19 and verse 18, where he speaks about the word of truth, the word of truth which brought us forth. And then he goes into verse 19 and talks about being hearers. And then be quick to hear. And then also in verse 21, he follows up on the issue of anger and says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness... What? What are you to receive? The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so here's what James means. When you're tempted to anger, when you are at the boiling point, when you are seething with hate, you must make great haste. You must quickly listen to what God says, to what the Word of God would tell you about this matter. Uh, How does being quick to listen to God's Word deliver us from anger which would overcome us? Well, just think about it. Um, The same Word mentioned in verse 18, uh, he says, uh, Of his own will he brought us forth by the Word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That, That word, Word is mentioned in verse 18. It is this Word of God which God sovereignly used to birth us, to regenerate us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And that word reminds us of who we once were. We are to listen to what the word which brought us forth says about us. You might consider a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And and that just sounds great because it stops right there, right? No. (laughs) It says, and such were some of you. (laughs) That's who we were. We were once those people. And aren't we glad? that God did not treat us like we deserve. 
Indeed, I think James's command to be slow to anger is implicitly calling us to listen to God's word um, regarding how he treats us, how God treats us before we be overcome with anger. Why do I say that? Well, because in the Old Testament, again and again, who is said to be the one who is slow to anger? God is slow to anger. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we read this, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. James says we are to be slow to anger. He also says be quick to listen. What are we to listen to? We are to listen and to remember the very God himself who was slow to anger, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you are quick to anger and not slow to anger, as God is slow to anger, where is the evidence that you belong to the one who is quintessentially slow to anger? And if you are quick to anger, a situation which will destroy your Christian witness, it will destroy your witness even as a church, if you are an angry church. If you are angry with each other, if you are quick to anger, then I plead with you, go back and listen. Be a hearer of God's word. God is slow to anger. He's not quick to anger. Remind yourself what the word says about you. I'm a sinner too, and I need to be patient with this person as God is patient with me. Remind yourself that being a hothead and losing your temper is not the way that your father deals with you. Remind yourself of the one who remained steadfast under trial, who did not complain, who did not seethe with anger, but who faithfully stood the test and received the crown of life. But you may say to me, Pastor, you just don't know how this person treated me. You don't know what was done to me. Or you may say, uh, uh, you know, you just not walked in my shoes. Well, what kind of statements are those? Those are statements which try to justify our anger, right? To justify our anger. And that is precisely the thing that James is arguing against justifying our anger. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we want to say, my anger, you've heard that phrase, a righteous anger. Uh, my, ang my anger is a righteous anger. It's, produce it's, it's achieving a righteous end. My anger is justified. If that's what you're saying, if you're saying, Pastor, this person deserves all the anger that I'm going to unload of them, then here's what the Word of God says to you. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that word for righteousness it has in view justice. <laughs> your uh, your man-fueled anger does not bring about the justice that you think it's going to bring about, no matter what you think and no matter how much you think it's justified. If you think it's justified, then you've been tricked. You've been deceived, which is what James is warning about. Don't be deceived. You're one of the self-deceived that's spoken about in this passage. Now, please notice that this passage to directs us, uh, it directs us what we are to do if, in fact, we do lose our temper, and we all do. I did this morning, and I had to apologize about it. If we erupt with anger toward God or someone, a child or a husband or a wife, a friend, what do we do? If we fail to be quick to listen and slow to anger, uh, well, 
in a word, we do this. We repent. We repent. And that's what the, ver the, the, the passage tells us. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, in context, filthiness and rampant wickedness is not referring to any old deed. It's especially talking about those angry words that you and I have just unjustly spoken to God or to a brother and sister made in the image of God. The fact that God describes such angry words as filthy and rampantly wicked <laughs> should really sober us up as to how, how God really views this. And so if we set ourselves, um, if we let ourselves be overcome with anger, expressing it with angry words, what does Paul say? He says, put it away, put it away. In other words, repent. And so you go and ask God for forgiveness. You go and ask God for wisdom, the wisdom that James says at the beginning of the book. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, it's really about, that's the key, by the way, to understanding the book of James. The book of James is about trials of various kinds. What do you need to get you through the trials? You need wisdom. By the way, some people have said that James is kind of a Christless book. I really think that they miss the fact that James talks later about the wisdom, which is from above. And right before our passage, he talks about every good and perfect gift which comes down from above, from the Father of lights, the gift of God and the wisdom of God which comes down is in only in Jesus Christ. So we must repent. What would prevent us, by the way, from doing that, from putting this away? There's really one thing, pride. Pride would prevent you from, and me from saying, I'm not going to give up the, the right. I have the right to be angry. <laughs> I felt that way before, by the way. Have you? You ever felt, I deserve to be angry. And to, the only antidote for that is humility. If you can't humble yourself and quickly listen to what God would say, then no matter how afraid you are to lose face with others, you're going to be trapped. Why, why else do you think James says in verse 21, speaking of the need to not be prideful, but to be humble in order to put away your stupid, angry words. Why else do you think he says in, in, the, in the rest of verse 21, and receive with meekness, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. James knows that pride is an insuperable obstacle to receiving the correcting word of God, to being quick to listen, to being quick to hear what God has to say. Pride will not allow you and I to put away our filthy and rampant, wicked, angry words. Man, is this a convicting sermon. <laughs> not unless we meekly and humbly listen to the implanted word. And guess what? James says in verse 21 that if you are such a hearer, a hearer of that word implanted, it is able to save your soul. Now, what does he mean by that? Some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought I was saved. 
Is James saying that now we have to meekly cooperate with God's corrective word to address our anger in order to be saved? I thought I was saved. Well, if we mean by salvation only our justification, of course, then the answer is no. But the Bible never truncates salvation to be only our being forgiven. For salvation, uh, God means not only being forgiven, but being holy and being changed and being transformed into a new person. It includes our sanctification. We need to be saved fully. The, the word of God, if we receive it meekly, it's able to save us. Meekly, humble, meekly and humbly listen to God's word on the matter of being tempted into anger. It is able to save you from, what, from the very thing you can't save yourself as you and I would be caught up again and again in our right to be angry, in our pride, our stubborn pride to go back and confess it and repent of it and turn away from it. And so... James says that we are to count it all joy when we encounter, and presumably when we overcome, trials of various kinds. So far, we have seen to this, that the solution, uh, the first solution that God gives to this trial of anger is to hear the word. Hear the word. But now let's turn to the second part of the solution. We, mu we must not only hear the word, hear what God says about us. We must do something. We must do the word. James has already shown us that to be true hearers, we must allow God's word to come to bear on us. We must allow it to convict us and show us the error of our ways. He begins by uh, directing us now to, uh, on what to do. Yeah, well, he, he, even, even so far, he's already begun to touch on that, hasn't he? Put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness. But what if we, what if we only heard what God said we should do and did nothing. Uh, that would be n not the outcome that God wants for us. Beginning in verse 22, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you hear all this today about the trial of anger, that's, that's really good stuff. That's good for someone. <laughs> and if you don't do anything, if you don't change, then you've been brainwashed. And the person who's brainwashed you is yourself. And it's myself, too, if I do that. That's what James says in verse 22. If you only hear and do nothing, change nothing, address nothing, you are a deceiver of your own selves. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes as pastors, uh, we, we, we look at passages and we think, wow, I've got to come up with a, a really good illustration to explain what's going on here. And we struggle to do that sometimes. But sometimes... The Bible actually provides the illustration for us. And it does right here, a, a wonderful illustration of a self-brainwashed, self-deceived person. It's found in verses 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. Um, now, I already had to be at one service this morning, but imagine, you know, m coming to my morning service, if I, I woke up and, I, and I, I looked at myself in my mirror, it's a big mirror I've got in my bathroom, and, and I say, wow, York, you're an awful mess. You, 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 need, you need to shave, you, sm you smell bad, you, you, you know, clothe yourself with something decent. And, and then, you know, I stepped away from the mirror, and I thought, well, 
it's time to get to church. I'm just going to, I'm going to drive. And I show up there, uh, unshaven, unkempt, smelly, not, not, you know, dressed in my bedtime clothes. There'd be a problem. Um, (laughs) Right? And, And I'd be told, didn't you look at yourself in the mirror before you came to church? And I would say, well, yeah, but, oh, I, I forgot what I looked like. That's what, of course, he's saying. It's like being a hearer of God's word on this matter of anger and not doing anything about it is like, uh, it's, it's like this foolish example of looking at yourself in the mirror and then walking away and doing nothing. Instead, look into the mirror, which James speaks about, uh, looked in, into that mirror, and the, what's the mirror? We are told in verse 25 that the mirror is God's perfect law, the law of liberty. And I believe law here is kind of a synonym for the entire word of God. The word has been spoken about. We are to hear the word. And now speaking about the law, that again brings us back to the very word of God. But now the word focused on those commands that God has for us. Uh, and, and, and as we are told in verse 25, persevere, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and you will, will receive God's blessing in your doing. You must hear, but you also must do. What must you do? What must you and I do if we are to be true hearers? Hear what we, here's what we must do. We must bridle our angry tongues. <laughs> Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is a little good. No, you're right. Worthless. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting, you know, this passage is not for people who are outside of the church. This is for people who are claiming to be religious. I'm a religious person. But he says no. If you don't bridle your angry tongue, you have a, not partially good, worthless religion. That person who does not bridle such an angry tongue, uh, yeah, it's a worthless religion. He doesn't really pull any punches. It's, James is very to the point. Um, well, I thought I could just hold on to my anger, we might say. And James, and God, therefore, says... You're wrong. You're wrong. You can't just hold on to your anger. Unless, of course, you want to have a worthless religion. And look there. uh, 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 There is the language of self-deception again. It doesn't occur just in verse 26. uh, Just in verse 22. It's also in verse 26. The the idea of self-deception. If you hear the word today and you don't do something, namely bridle your tongue, you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself into thinking that your religion is very worthwhile, when in fact, you're so deceived that you don't realize that it's a worthless religion. And so, dear friend, don't be such a person. Don't just be such a hearer only, but be a doer. A doer who looks into the mirror of God's perfect word, his law of liberty, which, you know, being enslaved to anger is like being in a horrible prison. Let's be liberated from it. And so, by contrast, instead of holding on to this angry tongue, or you know, not bridling the angry tongue, Joe's, uh, uh, James shows us positively what worthwhile religion looks like. 
We see it at the end of verse 27. So if you don't want, okay, don't want worthless religion, here's what James says. Religion that's not worthless, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here, a worthy religion has two parts. It has two parts. First of all, the care of the weak. The care of the weak. You see, the person who ceases being angry, and angriness, uh, being angry is a kind of, in one sense, it's a selfishness, right? Woe is me. I have such a hard lot. And it's God's fault, after all. He doesn't really know what's good for me, and, and don't you cross my path. Um, anger, in, in one way, is a kind of selfishness, or, or, or rather, I should say, it keeps you focused on yourself, doesn't it? Uh, that person who ceases being angry and ceases being consumed with themselves, they can begin to be consumed with caring for others, the widows and the orphans. And here I think, just like law is sort of a, a summary of, the, of the, the, you know, it means the entire word of God. Widows and orphans are, it's kind of a catchphrase for the weak. Do you want to know if you are a hearer, a true hearer of God's word? Are you caring for the weak in the church? Especially those who epitomize weakness, widows and orphans. Uh, people, as well as churches, who care for such, they show themselves not to have a worthless religion, but a very worthy religion. Secondly, the person with a worthy, worthy and not a worthless religion not only cares for the weak, but notice James' words, keeps oneself unstained from the world. Uh, now, while the staining influence of the world could refer to, you know, all kinds of things, I think here in context, again, it's, what's the key issue? Really, it's the stain of anger. If you haven't noticed, the world is a very angry place. <laughs> and it didn't recently just become an angry place. <laughs> it's been an angry place for a very long time. It's angry. And so we must be careful that we are not stained by what characterizes the world, its tone, its sentiment, its emotional disposition. And I think this is especially true. I mean, it hits home, especially for those who want to call themselves cultural or even religious conservatives. They often seem to me to be very angry people. It's okay to be angry at some of the actions going on in the world or, you know, your government. Um, but you see, that anger cannot consume us and define us. It can't Take, over, take us over, and it will if we don't subconsciously keep our guard up against being defined by anger. And so James says that a person with a worthy religion resists such st the staining influence of the anger of the world. And so in conclusion, James has said that you'll face trials of various kinds in your pilgrimage towards glory. How are you to overcome them? You are to overcome them in a twofold way. First of all, by hearing the word, that is, by being quick to hear God's word, what it says about anger, when you are in the crucible of temptation, you are to hear quickly, and if you fall, repent, turn away from such filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save you from that. It's able to save your soul. It's able to grant you release from the prison cell of anger. Secondly, doing the word, doing what God says, bridling your tongue, and serving the weak, caring for the widows and orphans. Can you do that on your own strength? Absolutely not. <laughs> of course not. You and I can only do that through God's good and perfect gift who comes down from above, from the Father of lights. You can only do that through the wisdom which is from above, which James tells us about in chapter 3, that's pure and peaceable and not given to anger. You can only do that through Jesus Christ. Look to Christ not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the power to turn away from them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for <laughs> alerting us to those things which would destroy us, make us useless Christians. Uh, an angry Christian is pretty much a worthless Christian. Angry Christians, uh, you, you, you choose not to use them. They, they, they cannot be used because they persist in a selfish, prideful anger Help us to be quick to hear what you say primarily about us. You as, uh, as the one who are slow to anger. And you have so much showed us your slowness to anger. Ultimately in Christ. And Lord, as we think about the anger that you have held back from us in Christ, we pray that you would te teach us to put away all anger, all filthiness and rampant wickedness which would overcome us and stain us oh lord help us to bridle our tongues i find that very hard to do sometimes i need help help me and help all of these people here so that we would have more and more a very worthwhile religion that honors you and that cares for the weak because we are not caught up on ourselves in our righteous anger. Liberate us from self-centeredness so that we can be useful. Do this by the power of Jesus Christ who is in us through his spirit. Amen.